Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? We're doing well. So, so good to be back with you. Uh, I wonder if you've ever dreamed of having a time machine. Anybody ever, anybody ever dream of this? What would it be like to have a time machine? And those of you who've thought about having a time machine, you've probably had a particular moment you'd want to go back to to change something. Am I right? What would you change? Would your change be for the good of all humanity? Maybe, uh, maybe uh, you want to go back in time and take out some terrible historical figure, you know, and alter the course of history for the good and save lives. Or if you're like me, maybe you, you think back to a, a sports game <laughs> that you'd like to have back. You know, swing lower or whatever the thing would be, right? Or maybe you'd want to go back to the, the Super Bowl and tell Garoppolo not to overthrow Emmanuel Sanders, right? Like, but what about if it was a time machine just for your life? What if it was a time machine just for your own life? All you can do is rewind the clock to a moment in your life that you'd like to have back and change something that you've done. Wouldn't it be great to have a time machine? But in a world without time machines, grace is going to have to do. Amen? So we've uh, we now come to the last, uh, the last week in the Gospel of John. And uh, we've, we've studied this from Christmas uh, through Easter. And we looked that Holy Week. We looked at the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked to the appearance that Jesus made to disciples and to especially uh, to, to Thomas, that interaction he had with Thomas. Several weeks ago, we looked at when Peter made his big brag, when Peter said, I will die with you. Even if these others desert you, I will die with you. And then he tried to do that. Remember, he swung his sword and tried to fight for Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not the way. Then Jesus goes on trial and Peter's following behind. And he's trying to be brave, right? He's trying to be brave. And, uh, and then he gets surprised by the servant girl who asks him, hey, aren't you, uh, aren't you one of the disciples? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't know the guy. I never heard of the guy, Right? And he's warming himself by fire, and a couple of the people ask him, hey, aren't you, aren't, you, aren't you one of the disciples? Don't you love Jesus? No, no, no way, not me, right? And then a third time, not me, and the rooster crows. Remember, remember the story, right? So this is the final chapter in the Gospel of John, and it's absolutely one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Uh, it is so beautiful. And in a world without time machines, where I can't go back and rewind the clock and change my decisions in the past, uh, this is a profound gift to be able to look back at a decision and to receive grace and mercy so that I'm not bound by the past, but can chart a new future. And that's what our scripture is about. I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read it. This is from John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, 
Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, this is not something to say to a fisherman, okay? Friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> no, they answered. And he said, once again, <laughs> not recommended to say to your fisherman friends, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I've never eaten fish for breakfast. That's the thing they did. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We pray that you'd open it to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So the, the author of this gospel, John, is, uh, is both funny and profound. And I want to try to show you both of those. The first one I want to show you is just how, how funny he is. Uh, most Bible scholars think that uh, this is John's way of, of uh, referring to himself. When he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's, he's talking about himself. All right? It's kind of a funny thing. Hey, the one they really liked, you know, the favorite. Okay? Um, the, at the resurrection story, uh, he brags that uh, when they first heard about the empty tomb, he and Peter ran to the tomb, and he says, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, outran Peter and got there first. Then when Peter finally showed up, he went inside, you know? So in the middle of this incredible story, he's bragging that he's running faster. In the passage that we just read, he points out a couple of funny details. First, uh, he, he has to point out that uh, at, the, at the return of Jesus appearing to them, the Lord himself, the risen Lord, appears to them. Peter was in his underwear, he had taken off his outer robe, was just sitting there in his chonies when Jesus showed up. It's hilarious, okay? And then when John is describing Peter jumping uh, off the boat and swimming, he talks, he says, he put, he, he's in a fluster. He puts on his robe and then jumps off with his robe and swims in his robe, right? As opposed to like 
what would be more convenient, just swimming in what he's wearing. So, so John is being funny, is being playful, certainly has a playful relationship with Peter in particular. Also very, very profound. And to, to, to a lot of what I want to show you uh, today about how profound this story is revolves around uh, this $10 theological word I'm going to teach you called recapitulation. Can everyone say recapitulation? recapitulation. Very good, very good. So it's Latin for to bring something to head again. So, so caput, like head, that word, uh, where we get the word like per capita or capital. Uh, so it's like to bring something to a head again. Uh, you picture like an attorney who's giving a closing argument and you've already kind of laid out all of your, all of your arguments. And at the end, you're like, wait, let me summarize. And we had this and this and this and this and this, you know, kind of bringing it all together. But in the Gospels, recapitulation is, is, is this redemptive uh, Restorytelling, where where there's a number of events that look surprisingly like past events. So here's some examples just from the Gospels. At his birth, Jesus survived an attack on young boys just like Moses did. Jesus' family fled to Egypt and then was called back by God just like the Israelites were were called out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. The Israelites wandered 40 days in the wilderness. And so Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days before crossing back across the Jordan into the main part of the promised land. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus selected 12 apostles. Do you see the connection there? Uh, it's intentional. All of these things are intentional. They're, they're reminiscent of the history of Israel, but it's like the history is being reborn in Jesus. So in some way, Jesus is redeeming history that's gone wrong by remaking it, reshaping it, recapitulating it. He's giving his people a new future by healing the past. Okay, it's not a time machine to go back and change something, but it's a redeeming of that story. Let's, let's, let's do this again. So here's some other like examples, way to, ways to grasp this word uh, recapitulation. So uh, first one, you could think of it as like redemptive deja vu. Redemptive deja vu. It's like, wait, you, something happens in the story. You're like, wait, I, I think I've heard this before. There were 12... There were 12 tribes, there's 12 disciples. That's an interesting thing. It feels like deja vu, but in a redemptive way. There's a renewal of history. Let's, let's, let's play this story again. Or my favorite, a divine do-over. It's like God giving us a do-over. It's like Jesus does something to make people say, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. This is just like that time that things were going really great and then we had that epic fail. But this time, there's going to be a different chance. How many people have ever played golf? Okay, we've got, we got, we got some golf players in here. Well, I'm not, uh, not a good golf player, okay? So, so for me, I discovered this beautiful thing called a mulligan. So now what's a mulligan? A mulligan is something that is not allowed in real golf. It's not allowed in professional golf. But if you're just there with friends and no one's looking and no one's waiting behind you, it's like you hit a shot out of bounds, you just drop another ball and you just try again, right? Now for me, 
I'd like to give myself unlimited mulligans. Uh, the only limit is the number of balls in the bag, right? Um, in the sense that there's this, there's this mulligan. It's like, hey, this thing that went wrong, let's see if we can try that again. And in Jesus, it's like humanity is getting a divine do-over. Here's why I want you to understand that. Because in our scripture this morning, the very last chapter of the last of the four Gospels, we find Jesus recapitulating or renewing the discipleship of Peter. The same thing that Jesus does throughout the story for all of humanity to redirect the course of human history, Jesus now pauses to do for one person, his dear friend, Peter. Because Peter has deep sorrow and deep shame that's going to need deep healing. And so Jesus walks Peter through a process of deep renewal. And isn't that what so many of us crave? Don't we crave deep renewal in our lives. God, could I have a time machine? Could I have a mulligan? Is there any way I could get another shot at that? So with all that background, I'm gonna walk you through, through the story and how it, how it shakes out. The first piece is when, G, uh, when uh, Peter returns to the sea. John 21, verse three. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So after three years of following Jesus after the tumultuous drama of the Passion Week, we find Peter out on a boat again, having returned to his old life. This is where Jesus had first called him. This is where he's from. This is the life that he knows. So the first thing that we need to note, just to clarify here, is that Uh, the Sea of Tiberias is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. So there's three names in the Gospels. I think we could pull it up here. There's three names for the same lake. So in the Gospel of John, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Matthew and Mark call it the Sea of Galilee. And Luke calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. And we even see clues in the Scripture that it's the same place. We see this in John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. So you're like, how can this be? How can the same place have these three different names? Let me just show you this map. Can we call up the, there we go. Okay, so here is a map, and you're gonna see that there's a, this is the, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. So around here are settlements, fishing villages, uh, agricultural communities in this area. And here you have Tiberias. There you have Gennesaret. And the whole region is called Galilee. So uh, that would be like, for, for example, the bay. There's a big body of water near us, and we call it, many people call it the San Francisco Bay. But what if San Jose is like, that's not fair. We should call it the San Jose Bay. It even rhymes. It sounds better, right? And then we get in on the action. You're like, no way. It shall be known as the Sea of Milpitas. You think? What do you think? Let's call it the Sea of Milpitas. Okay, now let me show you this next map uh, just for your orientation. Okay, 
So this is the region of Galilee. It's the rural area where Jesus spent most of his ministry, where, where the disciples were called from. And the early ministry, a lot of the early healings all happened around this Sea of Galilee, otherwise known as Lake of Gennesaret. But Jesus had traveled all the way down, you know, past Samaria down here, all the way to Judea um, and to Jerusalem. So this is the Dead Sea here. This is the Sea of Galilee, and right over here is Jerusalem. So they spent most of their ministry up here, and that's where Peter's from. But they had traveled in the Passion Week, and they were in Jerusalem. So everything that we read in the later chapters of John, the cleansing of the temple, the, the uh, interaction with the, the, the fighting, a lot of the fighting with Pharisees and Sadducees, the Last Supper, um, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the initial appearances, the empty tomb, that's all down in Jerusalem. So what's happened is some time has now, has now passed. There's a little bit of skip forward. We don't know exactly you know, how long. But um, apparently the disciples, including Peter, had traveled back and are way back up here in the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's just show you, there's also a very different uh, setting. So I think we have a picture of Jerusalem, kind of a... a this is a picture of kind of a rendering of, of what it could look like. It looks like, like, a, like a big city with walls and a temple and, uh, and capital buildings and commerce and all this kind of thing. But Galilee looks like this next picture. So Galilee, uh, this is a, a modern picture of it, but uh, this is what Galilee looks like today. It was even kind of more rural and rustic then, a place where sheep graze, a place where people are fishing. This is kind of, you know, the, the backwoods. This would be like if you go back to, let's go back one picture back. So this would be the Bay Area. And let's go to the next one. This would be like Merced, where I'm from. <laughs> okay? So uh, he has gone back to where he's from, and he's gone back to the, 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 the life that he knows, and um, he's gone back to being a fisher for fish. The last thing that we really know that he did in Jerusalem, the denial of Jesus, the discovery of the empty tomb, the celebration of that. But um, he's probably still carrying some, some guilt, some shame about, um, about what has transpired. Uh, he bragged, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die with you, Jesus. In the, I'm here in the big city. I'm going to make my stand with you. I'm going to die with you. And then Jesus died without Peter next to him. And Peter rejoiced when he first heard that Jesus rose from the dead. And while that clearly to Peter changed the fate of Jesus and the fate of the world, he's probably wondering, what about the fate of Peter. Peter is still weighed down by the sorrow and shame of his own failure. And out of that shame, he seems to have lost a number of things. Right? He was one of the inner circle. Now he feels the farthest away. He's lost his sense of identity as a disciple. Peter the rock has now become Peter the pebble. He's lost his sense of purpose and calling Jesus has once called him to be a fisher of men, and now he's gone back to fishing for fish. And Peter's returned to a lake full of memories. I think we can 
where, where Peter grew up. He, he, this is the place where he grew up. It stayed as a house of fishing. Let's see the next one. Where Peter, this is where Peter worked and where Jesus first called him. I'm sure he's back on the boat and he's remembering uh, that those first encounters with Jesus. This is where Peter saw Jesus feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I'm sure as they're fishing, they look at that part of the lake. Ah, oh, that's where that amazing miracle happened. This is where Jesus uh, preached a sermon out of Peter's boat. Peter's like, Jesus said, hey, let me, let me get in there. And he put a little from shore because there's too much of a crowd. And he, he preached one of his early sermons right out of his boat to the people on the shore. There was a miraculous catch uh, uh, of fish, right? This is the, the miraculous catch that we just saw. This is not the first time that it happened. This, this happened before. And that's when Peter was first called. And where Peter jumped out of his boat, to walk on the water with Jesus. So as he's sitting there on the lake, I'm sure that he's thinking about these bittersweet memories. They're flooding back to him. What amazing grace he had once experienced on this lake. And I wonder if for any of you, are you have you arrived at a moment in your life in which your faith, your sweet fellowship with Jesus feels like a past tense experience? Do you look back to a time in your life in which, you know what, back then, I had this sweet, sweet time of fellowship with Jesus. I wish I could get a time machine and go back to that season of my life. And maybe you think, ah, I don't know, I've lost it. I, I, something went wrong. I did something wrong. I, well, I don't know. I just, somehow I feel farther away. Well, if that's you, then I think this is a great scripture for you today because maybe that's how Peter was. He's like, man, I used to walk right next to Jesus. He preached on my boat. Now I'm a denier and I'm out here without him. But Jesus keeps this this, uh, process of redemption. First, Jesus returns to the sea. That's uh, verse four. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And then verse five and six, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net to the right side of the boat. You will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So in the first time, when the first story we have of the miraculous catch happens in Luke chapter five on the very same lake, It was an all-night fishing trip without a single catch, followed by an odd suggestion, followed by the greatest catch of their lives in both stories. But the first time was the day that Jesus first called Peter, and he left his boat, and he became a disciple. And so he, he renews this miraculous catch. But now Jesus chooses to use the exact same miracle to call him again with an interesting twist. We see, and let me show you in Luke 5 and compared with John 21. So in Luke 5, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So some fish were lost because the net broke. But in the new calling, in John, in the recalling of Peter, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. None of the fish are going to float away. 
And think of the, what that means for Peter in his life. Does he think that he was one of the fish that just sort of swam away? Well, this time you're going to stick. We're not going to lose any fish this time. I'm sure that Peter's like in the moment of struggling with this fish, he's like starting to feel the weight of this sign. John 21, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, a hundred yards. So there's this hilarious depiction, right? Jesus appeared to him. He's in his underwear. Ha, ha, ha. He puts on a robe. He just jumps out of the boat. He just leaps out of his own fishing boat and swims to Jesus. I wish I had a video camera to capture that moment. Wouldn't that be great to see? But I found something close. Let's watch this. <laughs> That's my boat. Isn't it amazing to just leap off of his own, leap off of his own boat and swim to Jesus? Jesus reclaims Peter from his boat. Now, no matter where you're at in your life, I just want you to know and have a clear sense that Jesus wants to call you also. That Jesus is calling you also. He wants to reclaim you. He wants you to be in fellowship with him. And if you feel like your sweet time of, of fellowship with him was in the past, he, he wants that to be true again. He wants to renew that with you. And he's right there. And you're invited to jump out of your boat and swim to him. In verse 9 through 13, we see that Jesus re, uh, restores fellowship with Peter. So he feeds them a meal of fish and bread on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, where Peter once uh, saw Jesus feed the 5,000 people with only a few loaves of bread and a small fish on that same shore. There he is cooking for them again. And they break bread together, just like the last time when they broke bread together at the Last Supper, right before Peter denied Jesus. And when they landed... They saw, and the NIV says it right, says a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, uh, we have a couple of words in the New Testament for fire. 
And uh, the word fire, we see translated in our New Testament English uh, translations, 70 times in the New Testament, we have the word fire. 68 of those, 68 of the 70, come from the same Greek word, pur, uh, which we get the word like pyro from. That, that's the word for just uh, fire, that's the flames of the spirit of Pentecost. Any allusion to the fire of hell, the refiner's fire that purifies the hearts, 68 times it's that word. But two times in the New Testament, when the word fire comes up, it's a different word. Anthrakia, it's the Greek word, not for a regular fire, but specifically for a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire, like, like your Weber grill, where you put charcoal and you're gonna cook your burgers over it, like, like fire made from those charcoal pieces is a different Greek word, anthrakia. It appears twice. Why am I telling you this? Well, because it appears one of those two times is in our scripture here that we just read, Jesus on the shore of Galilee. He's got a charcoal fire. That's one of the two. Can you guess, out of all the New Testament, where the other time is where there's a charcoal fire? Yes, it is where Peter denied Jesus. The only other charcoal fire in all of the New Testament is the charcoal fire when Jesus is upstairs on trial and Peter is outside in the courtyard warming up his hands by the charcoal fire. And at that first charcoal fire, people ask him, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And he says, no, I am not. I don't even know the man. I am not a disciple. I don't know that guy. Leave me alone. And he just sat there and focused on his own comfort. It is the point of greatest shame in all of his life was the last time he was at a charcoal fire. So what does Jesus do? But he goes to the sea once again, calls him out of a boat once again, breaks bread and cooks fish and has fellowship with him again and brings him back to stand by a charcoal fire once again. And at the first charcoal fire, he was asked three times, are you, are you with Jesus? And at the second charcoal fire, Jesus gives him another chance. He's going to ask him three times new questions. He asks him, do you love me? And Peter gets to try again. And he gets to stand next to this charcoal fire and declare, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Yes, Lord. I love you. And Peter has his calling reinstated. Jesus reinstates Peter's calling. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Just as when he first called him and said, I will make you a fisher of men. He's saying, okay, if you love me, I'm gonna call you to feed my sheep again. Now, this is probably the piece that Jesus, that Peter felt most disqualified for, right? 
He probably thinks, okay, maybe, maybe I have, 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 have just soured my name in shame and maybe Jesus could say, hey man, it's okay, I'm not gonna hold it against you. You're, you're, you're you know, I won't hate you. But the grace of Jesus is so much bigger than that that he goes way past that and he calls him into a loving relationship again and even into service. And even into the exact kind of service that he failed. You weren't brave before standing up and caring for my people. I call you to it again. And from the lips of Jesus, he finally hears these two words that began his entire process of discipleship. Jesus concludes this piece by saying once again, follow me. He said, follow me the first time when Jesus and Peter left his nets and left that life and went and followed him. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep and follow me. And Peter does follow him. He follows him for the rest of his life. And we see this played out in the book of Acts. And then kind of even beyond the book of Acts, we learn a little bit from church history that Peter actually was incredibly brave. Uh, Peter was in, uh, in the same city where Jesus was crucified. The day of Pentecost comes and there's all these people gathered and Peter stands up and makes this amazing speech. And he says, you know what, everybody, and he announces to everyone that he follows Jesus and he walks with the scriptures and 5,000 people come to faith. And then he continues on and he ends up journeying all over that known world at the time, sharing the faith of Jesus, making it even to Rome and sharing the faith there. And eventually church history passes down to us that Peter eventually gave his life, that he stood firm and declared the truth of his faith in Jesus and what he experienced to the very end. And they, at the very end, the Romans came to crucify him. And the church tradition says that he said to his executioners, I am unfit to die the death my Lord died. Hang me upside down. And they crucified him upside down. He wasn't, on the day in which he wanted to be brave, he wasn't. He was brave enough to, to kind of sneak into the courtyard, but then he, he shrank back. And he just felt mired in that and probably felt like, I'm no good for anything except to go back to all I once knew. I'll go back to my, own, my old hometown. I'll go back to my old way of providing. I'll go back to my old ways. And just maybe like this now that never, ever happened. But Jesus walked him through this unbelievably profound experience of, I'm going to come to you again. And I'm going to remind you of the miraculous power. And I'm going to remind you of the sweet fellowship we had. I'm going to take you back to that charcoal fire of shame. And I'm going to build one on the shores of grace. And you had three opportunities before that you failed and you're beating yourself up about, I'm going to give you three opportunities again to renew your love, to renew your fellowship. I'm gonna give you your mission again. I will be with you as you testify me to the ends of the earth. Isn't that a beautiful story? A beautiful story of grace. So I wanna invite you to stand with me. I'm gonna give you three, I'm gonna give you three opportunities that if you want, you can declare your love 
for Jesus. I will just ask you, do you love Jesus? And if it's you, and if you wanted to claim that today, you can just answer by saying, yes, Lord, I love you. I'm gonna ask you three times. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep and follow him. Hey, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We'd love to have you uh, come back every week. Now, if any of you would like prayer, we have people here ready to pray for you. Just come on up and tell them uh, what's going on. And we'd love to, to pray for you. Uh, we thank you so much for all of you that are giving to support uh, the, the church. We're so grateful for that. If you haven't yet uh, done that, you're, you're invited. Uh, it makes such a difference in people's lives in so many ways, through so many different ministries uh, around the city. And you can do that. You can, there's a QR code at the back of the pews, and you can access that and figure out how to do that or those boxes in the back. We're grateful for your, for your support. Uh, if you're looking for the parent connection, if you're a parent of youth, go that way. If you lead a life group, Go that way. If you're looking for the Filipino Fellowship, about right there. If you're looking for some deep prayer, healing, and deliverance in your life, cleanse the stream, it's about right that way. And then if you're looking to learn more about the prophetic uh, prophecies, it's about that way, over there. If you're a youth and your parents are going to be at one of those meetings, you can head right up that way. Uh, and everyone else, there's coffee and refreshments out on the patio. It's so awesome uh, to have you here. Hear this benediction, this blessing. And now may Christ your Lord, who called you long ago, may you know his calling in your life today. May you know his love and his mercy and his pursuit of you. May you hear his quiet voice full of grace say to you, follow me, walk with me, my dear friend, my beloved. And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.